Well, good morning, church family. It's going to be back to dive into God's word together. Man, I'm excited for this morning. Uh, just to warn you, I'm going to preach with some passion. All right? So it's been a while since I've been able to dive into God's word together with you. And I want us to get into the word of God so the word gets into us and changes us. And so I'm really thrilled that you're back this morning. And we're jumping back into a series that we've been on since the beginning of the year called Awaken, the book of Acts. And we're going to jump in where we left off. And But first, I want to look at the camera. Welcome all of you watching online. Man, I hope you feel the power and presence of God that's in this room as you guys are watching wherever you are. And we're going to jump back in. What I love about this series is we, I told you at the beginning of the new year, this is a series we're going to be in for a while. We'll be jumping in and out. But the book of Acts gives us a glimpse into the very first Christian church and what they were doing. It's a model for us. It encourages us. It should shape what we do as the bride of Jesus Christ, the church. And I'm excited to get us there. It's called Acts because it looks at the actions of the early church and of the apostles, the disciples of Jesus Christ, once he has been ascended into heaven. We get to jump there. So there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. We are eight months into the new year and we're only on Acts 4. Many years we're probably going to be in this book, but it's an awesome book. That's why I'm willing to like, let's go slow Let's go methodical and let's ask Jesus Christ to shape us because we want to be a book of Acts. We want to do exactly what Jesus wants the church to do. So if you got your Bible, if you got your tablet or your phone, turn to Acts chapter four, Acts chapter four. I'm, and I've called this message, the power to face persecution. I'm so excited for this passage in particular because it's about the church that begins to face trouble for the first time. I think it's so relevant for us today. I think you and I actually face persecution. We just don't realize it. It's to a different degree in America. See, over centuries, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus have been persecuted and killed for their faith in him. There are brothers and sisters in Christ that have been sewn into animal skins. They've been fed to wild dogs and lions. They've been covered in wax and attached to poles so they can be lit on fire and light up the courtyard of the Roman emperor. Brothers and sisters of Christ, one day you and I that will see these people in heaven They've been in prison, they've been boiled alive, they've been uh, burned and beheaded. And you and I may not face the physical violence of persecution here in America, but we do face social persecution. Oh, you're that weird person that follows Jesus. You actually believe that stuff? We face persecution, opposition, just in a different way. See, none of us today, we're not afraid of claiming Jesus Christ and worshiping his name in this room today. We were in a public spot yesterday having our worship team at noon play Jesus songs in a public, uh, in a, in a public park, and we had no concern that we're claiming the name of Jesus. 
And there are brothers and sisters in our, in our faith that right now today are hiding because they're fearing their life because of Jesus. Let me introduce you to this man here. This is Tahir. Tahir was from Iran. Tahir was a Muslim. In the country of Iran, it is illegal to convert to Christianity. See, Tahir had a problem, though. As he was practicing his Islamic faith, one of Tahir's kids was very, very ill. And a group of Christians in Iran find out. They go to Tahir and they say, do you mind if we pray for your kid? Tahir's in desperation. (laughs) Sure. Even though we persecute you Christians, my faith hasn't done anything. They pray, and miraculously, Tahir's daughter is healed. And he gives his life over to Jesus Christ right there. The issue is, as I told you, it's illegal to convert to Christianity. Tahir then has to go into secret, and they begin to have what they call secret church that meet together. One day... They had did their secret meeting where no one knew where they were meeting. He goes to work and he gets a phone call saying, you must come home quickly. It's an emergency. And he automatically thinks, it's my daughter. I thought she was healed. He gets there and the police are waiting for him. He's jailed. He's thrown into prison. And he's blindfolded the entire time. And while there, he's tortured every day. Why? for his faith in Jesus Christ. Every day, blindfolded, not knowing, will I ever see my daughter again? Will I ever see my wife? Will I ever see my family ever again? He's being tortured day in and day out. And well, you know what he says? My responses to the persecution and torture I was facing. He says, I remember a hymn that we would sing every time together in our secret house church. And every time he was tortured, he would say these words, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Persecuted. But will gladly still claim the name of Jesus Christ. Eventually, Tahir would be let go and he would take his family and flee the country of Iran. But he has a heart and passion He's now praying for other brothers and sisters that are still in Iran that have secret house churches to get out of there and flee. But he knows my brothers and sisters are dying for the name of Jesus also. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Blindfolded, tortured. Uh, there's a recent survey done by Open Door USA. Open Door USA deals with persecution of Christians. Here's what their survey says. Over 340 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. Every two hours, a Christian is killed for their faith. And over 4,300 Christian buildings are attacked each year. They also say a stat that there are over 4,200 Christians every year that is imprisoned illegally and never given a trial. Friends, our faith is bigger than in America. 
Those are brothers and sisters of our faith that one day you and I will see. And Acts chapter four begins the first trouble for the church, the first persecution. But what I love about it is it did not blindside God. Jesus predicted this. Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples. It's his last words before he goes to the cross. He knows he's going to be tried and go to the cross. That's going to happen in this evening. And he tells this to his disciples, recorded for us in John's gospel, John chapter 15. And it reads this way. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And who's sitting there going, sign me up to follow Jesus? If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do these things to you on account of my name. My name, Jesus. Why? Because they don't know the one who sent me. They don't know the one who sent me. Jesus says, listen, follow after me. You can expect trouble. It will come. When a person is walking with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, don't just hire Jesus as your Savior and fire him as Lord. Hire him as your Savior and your Lord, which means he's your master. Told you I'm going to preach this morning. Know this. When a person is walking with the Lord, it displays to this world a godliness, a righteousness, a supernatural wisdom that convicts a lost and broken world. And I love this. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what, friends? Yikes. 2 Peter 4, 4 says something similar. It says, they are surprised that you don't join in them in the same flood of wild living. And they, what friends? They slander you. I truly think that is where we are today in America. is social persecution where you get slandered for not being like the world. You ought to look a little different to the world. Why? Because we follow the way of Jesus, not the way of the world. And it is a upside down kingdom that we are after, that we live in. It looks different. And it feels different. And no wonder why. Because you know what they expect? Join our wild living. You know what Jesus says? Don't do it. My way is the true path of life. You're going to look different than them. You're going to look different because you're found. You're not lost. You're in light. You're not in darkness. And that will look different to this world that is full of sin and full of brokenness. And you may even get a little persecution and a little slander for who you are. Let me ask you a question before we jump into the biblical text. What kind of Christian life are you living I 
don't know if you can be a true follower of Jesus and not face some sort of opposition, trouble, or persecution if we're truly walking the way of Christ. Let me ask you another question. I'm going to reword it a little bit. Are you willing to be rejected for the sake of Jesus Christ? I realize Thanksgiving's coming up, right? Some of you are like, man, Ryan, I'm still in summer. Don't get me all the way to November. Thanksgiving is going to come. Are you willing to still stand for Jesus Christ knowing you may be the only Christ follower in your family? And they're sitting there. You know you put up with it every year. Oh, here comes the perfect, the holy roller one. Listen, some of us may need to find a new group of friends because that friends right there aren't leading us to Jesus Christ. Listen, we still need to engage them. But your closest friends ought to be Christ followers who build you up, not take you down. Be careful who you're around. Be careful who you spend the most time with. Yes. Do I have friends who are lost? Yes. Will I hang out with them here and there? Yes. But I'm not going to spend the majority of my time with them. Know who you are. We need each other. We need each other. Trevin Wax is um, the vice president of the North American Mission Board. And he goes, hey, it's funny that Christians want to say, let's be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? We need to be Jesus to this world. Check out this quote from Trevin Wax. He says this, when we say we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we must remember what happened to the hands and feet of Jesus. Listen, when our society and our culture is getting darker by the moment, we're becoming a darker nation where there is no absolute truth anymore, where you can decide what truth is. Let's stand on the word of God and know we will not be divided, but we will always bow to God's word and not make it bow to our feelings. Okay? I think it's dangerous that we have Christians that claim Christ, but very there is a definitive line with what sin is, and they're open to say, oh, just come on. We don't change the rules. We allow the rules to change us. And be healthy arguing with God with things that you don't like, but you can never rewrite God's word. Foundational truth right here. But wrestle with it. It's okay. Wrestle with it. Don't, listen, there's there's 66 books in the Bible. There are some things that I'm like, God, I wish you would actually do this. Like, allow that to be all right and that. I wrestle with it with God. But I'm not going to make this bend its knee to me. Because this, I didn't save Jesus. Jesus saved me. And I will gladly bow and wrestle in full surrender. It's scary. I don't want to be a people that change our theology ever. Even the world sitting there going, you really, seriously? That's what you guys believe? Yes, because it's Christ. It's Christ. I'm called to love you, though. Like Christ loves you. And you still matter because you're created in the image of God. And he deeply wants a relationship with you. But my struggles and all this, I don't know it either, but let's do life together. And hopefully my life will reflect Jesus Christ and go that way with you. I'm so excited for this morning. Just getting warmed up. Getting warmed up. All right. So with that as the background... We get to dive into Acts 4 the first time they feel trouble and persecution. And we're going to look at Peter and John and how they react to it. Okay, but let me remember, as we come to Acts 4, that means Acts 3 has happened. 
So we haven't been in Acts 3 since June, so let me briefly get us caught up. Peter and John, they go to the temple, and what are they doing at the temple? They're there for prayer time. They meet a guy who's been lame from birth, sitting at the gate called Beautiful, hoping to get some money because he's lame from birth. At the gate called Beautiful is where you and I would drop our offerings off. That's why he's there. He's a smart beggar. Right? He's like, I know you guys are good, holy people. You give your offering here. That's why I'm going to sit here and go, ding, ding, ding. what about me? Right? And he says, hey, I want your money. And Peter John says this. I love what they said, right? Silver and gold we don't have, but what we do give you, we'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And they reach their hand down and pick this guy up who hasn't walked since birth. And what's his response? Jumping, leaping, and praising Jesus. Whoa! Come on, I think we ought to do more jumping and leaping and praising for Jesus Christ than we do. Come on, right? And so everyone's like, whoa! We've been seeing this guy here every single day, and now he's like, yeah, I, I can walk, right? And Peter and John then begin to preach a powerful message to the people, and he looks at the people who killed Jesus and said, listen, you killed the Messiah, the author of life, now you need to repent, And enter chapter four. And what's interesting about chapter four is you're going to see people repent and get saved, but you're also going to see Peter and John get persecuted. You're going to see salvation and persecution. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to notice what Peter and John, how they respond to the persecution I want to frame them this morning is five I will commitment statements for us as a church. But we have to understand right before we jump in why this is so important. Why we must be committed to God's word. It's this. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for everything. And we see that. We see brothers and sisters in Christ beginning to change theology, beginning to change their worldview. It's like, what happened? The problem is we're not rooted in Jesus Christ enough. So we don't know what his word says, so we don't know how to handle a situation. And then we're influenced by that situation, so we change the viewpoint. And we say, well, that must be okay then, because we don't know it. So one of my goals as your lead pastor is to help you get to know the word. And that's what I'm passionate about. So here, if we don't know what we're about, what we're convicted about, what we'll stand for, what the principle of who we are, we will not stand for Jesus Christ. And we will let culture and society have a bigger word than Jesus. And the way our nation is going is not pretty right now. And can I say this? I promise we're actually going to get into them. Let me say this. What we're facing today in our nation, number one, has not shocked and caught God by surprise. And number two, this is written at the time of probably the worst persecution under the emperor of Nero, who absolutely hated Christians and killed them. They did awful acts of worship. Awful. So I think sometimes when we're like, oh, our world is so dark. Oh, it is. And our nation is changing a lot of things. But back then, when the New Testament was written, they were going through worse things than what you and I are. 
That's a, that's a perspective to have, especially leading to next week. I hope not to offend you. I hope this offends you. Next week, let's lovingly dive in. This is my disclaimer for next week. I'm so excited, but I think I'm going to offend people. And my prayer is I'm not going to offend God's word. And we're going to address some issues in the, in the world today. And how do we respond? Because you're going to see more. I got to shut up. We got to focus here though, not next week, okay? So five I will commitment statements that we see as they get persecuted. So note takers, get ready. Non-note takers, get ready. Here we go. First is this. I will not fear opposition. I will not fear opposition. Turn to your neighbor and say, I will not be afraid of opposition. Acts chapter one, verse one, or chapter four, verse one. Here we go. Check this out. While they were speaking, referring to Peter and John, while they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them. They're not happy. My question is, but why are they not happy? First, let's take a quick fun thing. There are two groups at the time of Jesus that did not like Jesus. You had these two groups known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You often see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who does Jesus go after a lot? The Pharisees. So let's have fun. You have, you're all Pharisees, okay? So the Pharisees were your middle to lower class Um, very ultra-conservative, you guys would be, very legalistic. In fact, your scripture was known as the Torah and the prophets. The prophets were like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, all those prophets. You believed in the prophets. What was interesting, though, is you were so legalistic, you would come up with 613 laws in order to make sure you're abiding by the Ten Commandments. Do you know how many words, beginning alphabet, is in the Ten Commandments? Or 613. Hence, 613 laws, right? One reason you don't like Jesus, remember what Jesus did in the temple? You, we, we must remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So you guys come up with laws to say you can't work on the Sabbath because we got to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. No working. And part of working could be healing. And what did Jesus do in the temple? He healed you guys, ah, you guys are like, uh-uh, you broke number 425. You guys don't like Jesus. He's breaking your rules. And you're like, we don't know how to respond to this, Jesus. On top of that, you Pharisees, you do not like the Roman government. You hate the oppression of the Roman government. The Sadducees. I don't know if I would woohoo yet. <laughs> The Sadducees were more of the elite, if you will. You're very few in number, the Sadducees are, but you are wealthy. And you know what you love? It's true. You love what they hate. You love Rome. Because you guys can be buddy-buddy and get your way. You can pay Rome and get your way. They hate Rome. You love Rome. You know what's interesting about the Sadducees is their, their, their Bible is just the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's all you believe in, those first five books. You don't believe in the prophets like they do. You don't believe in it. Just those first five books, that's it. 
on top of that, you guys, you guys, you guys are like the ultra liberals, by the way. They're the ultra conservatives. They're, you guys are the ultra liberals. Um, here's interesting what your theology, your theology is a little weird. Uh, the Sadducees theology, you guys would believe in no afterlife, no spirits, no angels, none of that. And a big key theology thing you all believe is that there is no resurrection. Huh. Acts chapter four. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them. Yeah. Too bad, you like being a Sadducee. And then Luke, who wrote Acts, gives us no wonder why the Sadducees are confronting. Because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. You don't believe in it. And now Peter and John are going, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, by the way, that you killed. And they are annoyed. Please know, The gospel will annoy people. The key is just don't be annoying. Look what God's word says. They were annoyed. It doesn't say they're annoyed because Peter and John are obnoxious. What are they annoyed at? Their message. They're not annoyed at who Peter and John are, that they're Christ followers. They're irritated that they're spreading this resurrection stuff. That's what they're irritated Listen, the fact that the gospel will annoy people doesn't give any of us the right to be annoying. That will turn people off from Jesus. Remember, Peter and John are in trouble because they're annoying. They're in trouble because people were annoyed by the gospel. And when you preach the gospel, when you open your mouth to teach the gospel, know this, the God, know this, that there will be people who view the gospel as intolerant, harmful, bigoted, narrow, and a fairy tale. But also know when you declare the gospel, the enemy of your soul will want to attack. And that's the culture you and I live in today. You really believe that fairy tale? Jesus is so bigoted and narrow-minded. And not everyone, as you live out your faith, will like what you have to say. Here's what's interesting in, in verse four. It goes on and it says this, but many of those who, who heard the message believed And the number of men came to about 5,000. Here's what's interesting. We know in Acts chapter 1, there's 120 of them in the upper upper room, wherever that is in Jerusalem, 120. The spirit falls. Peter preaches in Acts 2, and there's now 3,000. This is the third time we get a number of the size of the church. It's now up to 5,000, and it says men. That's not including women and children. The church is expanding even in the midst of trouble and persecution. But know this, Peter and John are preaching Jesus because people have to hear to believe. And they're not afraid to stand up before the people who persecuted and put to trial and crucified Jesus to say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
I love what Romans 10, 17 says. It says, so faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message of Christ. Um, according to our, our, our scholars, we believe that St. Francis of Assisi, an early church father theologian, was accredited this statement, but we're not really sure if it was him or not, but we give it to him. And he says this, preach the gospel often, but when necessary, use words. That's the dumbest thing. Please hear me. Our faith does lead to good deeds and action. And we should show Christ's love by how we serve one another and the outside world. But they must hear the message of Jesus Christ. At some point, you must speak Jesus Christ to them. They have to hear, and it's got to come from you. You must have that boldness. And you know the problem with evangelizing? Here's our issue. We feel that what stops us most is we think we know what's going on in their heart. But Jeremiah says this, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? So we look at the heart and you're like, you know what? We're fooled by their facade. They look like they don't want to hear it. And you know what we do? Then we step back and we don't say anything. And what they need is the message of Jesus Christ. That's what their heart is longing for. But we see this facade that they're angry against it, but their heart is broken and needs healing and they can only be found in Jesus Christ. Or we think, you know what, they're, they're, they're cold against church and this Jesus idea, and we decide not to do anything when God has been working on their heart, preparing the soil of their heart to receive the seed of Jesus. Who knows? If we just got bold enough to step out and not worry about, or what are they going to say about me? What are they going to think about the church? What are they going to think about Jesus? If we just be bold enough as Christians to step out and say, I will not fear what they may believe or how they may ostracize me because there is only one name and his name is Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I will do everything with grace and truth to tell who Jesus is. I wonder how many more people in heaven we could have. is if we just stopped worrying about what other people think because we think we know their heart. And in the ancient world, at the time of the height of the Roman Empire with Nero on the throne burning Christians, it took a group of them to set the Roman world on fire with the gospel. Why? Because they had, uh, they had the tenacity to say, we will not fear opposition and we will preach the gospel wherever we go. Commitment number one, I will not fear opposition. Commitment number two, I will proclaim the resurrection. I will proclaim the what, friends? The resurrection. Look at verse two. Remember, that because they were annoyed, 
that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They weren't afraid knowing you half, you Sadducees, did not believe that. They said, we do, and we know what we stand on. They were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And if you jump to verses 9 and 10, Paul's continuing, he says this. If we're being examined today, Peter says this, about a good deed done to that disabled man, that lame man from birth at the beautiful gate, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we're not afraid to tell you who he is. Even though we know we could die in this moment from all of you. It's Jesus whom you crucified and watch this, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing here before you healthy. The resurrection is the backbone of our theology. If Jesus does not get resurrected, then we have a savior, a dead savior who can't save everyone or anyone. The resurrection is the centrality of our faith. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians, or Romans says this, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of father, so we too may walk in newness of life. I love the fact that they're literally saying there is power in the name of Jesus because he's been resurrected. There is new life in the name of Jesus because he is alive and has been resurrected. And then Paul, uh, Peter, or Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain and so is your faith. We have no faith if there's no resurrection. And I love Romans 10, 9. Here it is. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, here it is, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I will proclaim the resurrection. Declare it. Can I say this, friends, family? Don't just proclaim the resurrection on Easter Sunday, but proclaim it the other 364 days of the year. Let's be people of the resurrected Jesus. That's why I say every Sunday should be like Easter because we're celebrating that the tomb is empty and our lives are changed in his name. Woo, come on. All right, proclaim, second, proclaim the resurrection. Let's be people of the resurrected Jesus, 365 days of the year. Okay, here's the third commitment. We'll go through the the last a little quick. Here we go. Third is I will be filled with Holy Spirit. I will be filled with the Spirit. Check out Acts. So, So they seized him and took them into custody, Peter and John, until the next day since it was already evening. Big key note here. Why aren't they just trying him? Because it was illegal to try someone at nighttime. That is why Jesus' trial was illegal. (laughs) Because they tried Jesus at night. They wanted to stomp him out. Why? Pharisees, you didn't like him. Sadducees, you didn't like him. You didn't know what to do with the son of God. So we try, get, get get rid of him. Let's execute him. Who cares it's night? We're done with him. And they said, no, Peter and John will give you the right trial. We'll wait till night. And then it goes on and says, the next day there, watch this, rulers, elders, and scribes. This is like their Supreme Court, if you will. 
This is the, the group of people that get to make the laws all under the Roman governor of that time. But remember, they're kind of in cahoots with Rome anyways. And they're like the, the ones that um, are pretty corrupt, but they kind of run the, gov- the, gu- the country for you. So the Supreme Court's there in Jerusalem. Not only that, and it's the high priest is there. By the way, he's crooked. Rome will eventually kick him out of the high priest's role. And you know what he does? He pays them off so his son-in-law, Caiaphas, can rule. Again, you're in cahoots with Rome. And they're all there. John and Alexander and all the members of the high priestly family. They're there, ready to try Peter and John. You know why? Because they don't know what to do. And then it says after they had Peter and John stand before him, they began to question them. Here's the question. By what power or in what name have you done this? Here's what's fascinating. Peter, who's on trial, standing before the group of people that put Jesus on the cross and killed, he's standing there and they ask the question, by what power have you done this? Peter, when Jesus was on trial, couldn't stand up to a little girl and tell her, that I was with Jesus. Now he's standing before a crowd that can kill him like that and watch the change. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and said to them, rulers and people and elders, what's the difference? The filling of the Spirit. He has it. He has it. Now, there's some theology out there. I've been talking to a couple Pentecostal pastors, and I I love talking to other denominations so I can learn from them. And uh, talking to a couple Pentecostal charismatic pastors, and their, their theology is based around that the only evidence of being filled with the Spirit is speaking in tongues. Maybe some of us have heard this, that that is the only evidence What's interesting is they're beginning to see a little change in their theology. Not that they're like, maybe we, we, we twisted it in the wrong way. So here at Radiant Life, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. That the Spirit resides in us at the moment of salvation when we get saved. And the Spirit enables us with gifts. We believe that. One of them is speaking in tongues. But please hear me. Paul is very adamant in 1 Corinthians how that should be done within the church. And he says, listen, the God that we serve is a God of order, not chaos. And you all start speaking in tongues and all this stuff. Like, people are going to think you're wackadoodles. That's why people are like swinging from chandeliers or stuff. Like, there's like, no, we don't do that. There's order. But we believe in in the gifts of the Spirit. And then there's gifts of the Spirit, and there's the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit comes from abiding in the vine, who is Jesus, and you experience this fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You've got the fruit that's there. You've got the gift. By the way, it ain't your gift. It's the Holy Spirit's gift who he can decide, can you have this gift one day? And then another gift, it's for him. What does Jesus always do? Point us to Jesus Christ, or the Spirit always points to Jesus Christ to give honor and glory to him. So some days you need that gift. Other days you need this gift. It's the Spirit's gift that enables you to operate in the gifting. 
So the brothers and sisters on the Pentecostal side began to say, well, that's the only evidence, and they're beginning to change and beginning to realize, hold up! That could be one way of expressing the infilling of the Spirit in one's life. It could be one way, but they're beginning to wonder, did we actually, did we actually miss something? Look at what John or Matthew says. This is Jesus. He says, but when, you hand, when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you will speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. He's prophesying to this event, right? Because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. It's the words, the empowerment, and the filling of the spirit in your life that enables you to speak truth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we've looked at this. And you know this statement, if you've been with us. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And guess what's going to happen now? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they sit there and go, whoa. Not yet. Acts, a little later on, in Acts 29 and 31, Peter's prayer, he says this, and now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all what, friends? All boldness. Watch this. When they had prayed, the place that they were arrested was shaken. That would have been pretty cool to see, right? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. I think a litmus test to the filling of the Spirit is can you evangelize and speak boldly the name of Jesus Christ? It's not necessarily can you speak in tongues, but can you walk across the street to your lost neighbor and witness to them? Woo! And I'm having these beautiful conversations with our brothers just sitting there going, man, maybe we had the wrong litmus test all along. Maybe it's boldness to speak Jesus. Now, I know some of you are like, wait, we're actually filled with the Spirit. Like, John 20, Jesus says he breathes on his disciples the Spirit, and they receive it. Who's there? Peter. Acts 2, Peter's with the 120 at Pentecost. The Spirit fills them. So you're like, oh, the initial filling. There must have been a second filling. But you know what you and I just read here? Is another filling Peter received. The Spirit filled him again. I'm not here to say the initial filling, or I believe in the initial and the second filling. Listen, I believe in the filling of, of the Holy Spirit every day in our lives. You know why? Because you and I leak. Turn to your neighbor and say, You're leaky. And every healthcare professional said, that's gross. All right. <laughs> you must be filled with the Spirit. We need the Spirit. We need the Spirit. We need Him. Can we walk across the street and evangelize with grace and truth, covered in love? We constantly, even Paul writes, you know, be fi- don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, which literally means a continual filling. Why? Because we leak. We need the Spirit in our lives. Every morning, pray the Spirit, fill me again. 
I need you to endure what today has for me. I need you to speak, help me speak with boldness in the name of Jesus where I live, where I work, with where I play. Here's fourth commitment. I will tell people that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Here's an issue. We live in a pluralistic society that says any religion is okay. Pluralism is attacking our faith in America today. Look what Paul says in his opposition. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no name under heaven given to the people which we must be saved. Not that it's one of the ways to be saved. Not that if you think about being saved, maybe try Jesus. He's like, no, there is one name and his name is Jesus Christ. Uh, You remember back in the day, uh, you still see them here and there. There's a bumper sticker that says coexist. You guys remember it? Right? Like, I want to say yes and no. Yes, the fact that other religions, those who believe in other religions, are made in the image of God, and we're called to love them. We're called to evangelize to them, to witness to be Jesus. So in that essence, I get it. But listen, coexist. Not every religion leads to God in the afterlife. It is Jesus and Jesus only. And we will be a church that stands on that foundational truth that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to the Father. Why will we stand on it? Jesus said it himself. Jesus told them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that got Jesus in trouble with many. And it gets us in trouble today. Please hear me. Society today, our culture is screaming this. You can't say your religion is the right one. You must say that all religions are valid and try to just tell people you should try Jesus. They are, what the culture is doing to us today is they're trying to evangelize you and I to their point of view and they're doing exactly and doing and telling, they're doing what they are telling you that you can't do. That is the height of hypocrisy. You're trying to convert me to your view, but you're telling me I can't tell you that Jesus is the only way. Hypocrisy. I'm sorry, we'll be a church that stands that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Not every religion leads to God. Christianity is the faith because Jesus, the Son of God, came to bear your and I's sins to build that bridge from our sin and destruction to wholeness and restoration in Christ Jesus. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Romans 1.16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let us be a people that tell other people that Jesus is the only way. Here's the last and final one. I will spend time with Jesus. I realized this morning with some of the things I've said could offend people. I cannot apologize for what is right and what is true. I can't. I'm not called to be a popular pastor. I'm called to preach Jesus Christ. 
And if you're here this morning and you're checking out Radiant Life for your first time, and you're like, oh boy. First and foremost, we would love if you stopped at Guest Central, the green pillar out there. We would love to have you. We got a gift bag for you there. But this is who we are. We're committed to Jesus Christ. We will be people of the way of Jesus. And what's interesting is in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, how we're going to close out our time. They notice something about Peter and John that's just a little different. Verse 13, when they observed the, the what? The, the boldness. Peter and John had something. They're like, they're, your boldness. They realized they were uneducated and untrained men. They didn't have it all. They're amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Every day, may you and I spend time with Jesus Christ. Every day. You can write these three words down. Word, worship, prayer. I think it would be fantastic if you got all three in. Maybe you get two in or one in. But spend time with him every day. Because Jesus changes everything. You make time for what you love. How much time are you making for Jesus? How much time? What's fascinating is Mark gives us a little clue what Jesus says or how he appointed the 12 apostles or disciples. Mark 3.14 reads this way. He appointed 12, he, Jesus, appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. Watch the progression. First and foremost, to be with him. There's that being aspect. See, in the moments of being with Jesus, you recognize where you've got off track. And the Spirit gently guides you back and convicts you. It's being with Jesus or moments when the world is kind of shut out, distractions are set aside, and you can just worship the King of Kings. And it's like your reality and your worldview changes. It gets reoriented towards the heavens and not here. Notice it's to be, and then what does it say then next? To send them out to preach. It's being with Jesus before doing for Jesus. Are people astonished when they watch you live for Jesus Christ? Do they wonder how you can be so bold and gracious? How you can be so kind in the midst of trouble and opposition? conclude that you have been with Jesus. I'm going to close with this story. I want you to meet Kirti. Kirti's from India. Kirti worshipped many Hindu gods. Her entire village does. 
Kriti was born with a severe disability. And there were a couple Christians in India that went into her village to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They noticed her and said, do you mind if we just lift you up? Yeah. They prayed for Kirti in that moment. (laughs) And God miraculously healed Kirti. And her two daughters and her husband gave their life to Jesus Christ in that movement, in that moment, from Hinduism to Christianity. Well, there's a problem. Her village didn't like that. They worshiped the Hindu gods. When they found out that she converted to Christianity and follows Jesus, they raided her house and took every Bible from her family and burned them. They came back with ropes and drug Kurti's husband out of her little home. And they killed her husband because of Jesus. And that is Kurti standing at the grave of her husband. All because of Jesus. It seems like in the middle of that persecution, may give up on this Jesus thing because you're like I don't want that for myself or my daughters but not Kurti she was committed to Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel and this is what she says now she still lives in that same village that did that to her her Bibles that did that to her husband this is a picture, she didn't want her kids shown, but that's a picture of her and her daughters. And she says this, they often threaten to kill me, but I, but I pray for the salvation of my village. Can I say I want that kind of faith? That when I face some opposition in my life, can still stand and say, you know what, I'm still praying for the people that persecute me. I want that faith, if God forbid anything happened to my family, to say I'm praying for those people that did that to my family. (laughs) One day we will see Kurti in heaven and we'll see her husband that was martyred for Jesus Christ. And I think that's a pillar of faith right there. But they're committed to Jesus no matter what they walk in life. So let me ask you a question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? Maybe for some of us, it's just one of those five have resonated a little bit. And you're like, I need to be more committed to that. Allow the Spirit to stir something. Allow the Spirit to do something that we just don't walk out going, hey, that was nice. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? So one day, we know what we stand on. 
And when the trouble comes and the persecution or opposition head our way, you and I can stand firmly in Jesus Christ and say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Because you, Jesus, it is well. So will you please stand and I'm gonna pray for you. And we're gonna sing that song, It Is Well. And may we give it over to Jesus. So Heavenly Father, we lift up everyone in this room that could hear my voice, whether it's online or here. May we be committed to you, Jesus. May we go all in. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in you, Jesus. We gotta go all in. Lord Jesus, help us not fear opposition. Lord Jesus, help us to preach your resurrection all the time. Not wait till Easter once a year, but all the time. May we be filled with your power and your spirit and your presence. Fill us. May we always point everyone to you, knowing you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except to you. May our lives point people to Jesus. And may we be with you. And as we enrich our lives, surrounded with you more and more, that when trouble does, we will say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. 